I am Paul Dager, your host for this conversation on mindfulness. My guest for today's episode is Jim Schaefer. Jim is a consultant, coach, and speaker who brings more than 30 years of sales and management experience to his clients in a career which has included stints with numerous startups as well as Fortune 1000 companies. In 1990, Jim began offering his popular Path of Mastery seminars. His consulting work is focused on bringing principles of mindfulness to corporate employees. Jim has been featured at the New England Whole Health Expo and Babson College's annual Symposium for Spirituality and Business. Jim holds a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Pennsylvania, and he and his wife live in the Boston area. Please now enjoy this conversation with Jim and I. Thank you. Here we are, a couple of mindfulness guys hanging out, having a conversation. I recognize that you're a teacher. You know, and honor and respect all the knowledge you bring to the table. And I want to lift the hood a little and and have a conversation about personal experience of mindfulness. And the place I like to begin is, how did you start out? What drew you to it? Um, what motivated you to first to explore, learn, and practice mindfulness? Great. Well, I think I'm going to start that conversation by talking about my initial encounter, which repelled me from uh, oh, studying. I love that. starting there. What a great place to start. <laughs> so in 1969, I went to college, and the big kind of uh, mindfulness practice then was transcendental meditation. The Beatles were with Maharaj, Maharishi, I mean, and uh, the problem is it was a little cult-like mm, on university okay. campuses. They were pushing you, recruit people, and I don't know, there was all this, all this hoops you had to jump through, I think, to get a mantra. And also, it was the Vietnam War, and I was a journalist in school, okay. and I was angry, and uh, I, I just thought, I, I couldn't relate to it, and I felt that a lot of people were just copying out. And okay. So it wasn't really, plus also, please understand, I was 18 or 19. The hormones were going. It was my first time away from my home in small town, rural America. You know, I was in a big city alone for the first time in my whole life. Fast forward to 1979, and I was a top sales guy in a top software company. And although I had become so successful that I was able to buy a home in on the North Shore of Chicago and a fancy new car in nice. in like saving money for like eighteen months. I didn't really feel feel well at all. Mm. It was sort of like if this is success, why don't I feel whole? Good question. Yeah. So the way we dealt with business stress in those days was not too skillfully. Worked hard and played hard. But the whole world okay. was par- partying then in the Ronald Reagan era. You know, work Very hard, 80s. play hard. Yeah. yeah. But I was conscious that, that it, it wasn't healthy. Fast forward finally to 1987. Okay. I met my fiance, who's been my wife for 35 years as of Monday. Congratulations. Thank you. And she's a clinical psychologist. She was working evening seeing patients. And I was at the library in Brookline, Mass, near where her apartment was, waiting for her. And I stumbled upon some books that I was glancingly familiar with from the 60s, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I stumbled upon one by this guy named Joseph Goldstein. That took, uh, <laughs> this guy. Know, uh, right. So 
yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know who he was, you know. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, this stuff started really making sense to me because I was about to become a husband, and I knew a father. I was 36 years old. I knew as soon as we got married, my wife, you know, we wanted to get moving. We weren't kids. Okay. And I thought, I don't have the skills for that, the way I'm going now. You know, I have no center. Even what I have is drive, ambition, some business success. Didn't have myself centered properly. And as I began to read these books by Joseph, by Pema Chodron, and a couple other people, and there were early, earlier ones, because this is way back, Jerry Jampolsky, who wrote a book called Love is Letting Go of Fear, a guy named George Leonard, oh my God, changed my life with a book of his called Mastery. And uh, I thought, you know what? This is a curriculum for what I was looking for, number one. And number two, it could be really helpful to the people I know in business because it's a wonderful okay. business curriculum for what I see as a fairly, uh, at the time, painful, stressful environment. I was mostly self-taught with uh, audios, and I read books. So I started my practice pretty much daily in 88 till now. Okay. Wow. You know, there, there's two parts of that story. And one, thank you for sharing. It's a beautiful sure. story. One is stumbled upon. And I think that's a common occurrence for us arriving into this thing called mindfulness. And I also wonder how much is it a a receptivity that in that idea of serendipity, synchronicity, you know, that there's, there's this, our eyes come across something, our ears hear something when we're ready to receive it. And there's this sense I'm hearing in like out of balance, like extreme success in, in, in the sort of business world and recognizing, Hey, there's more to it. And I don't have this other half. When, well, right. let me say, we all have it. It's just a matter of accessing it, right? right. Um, but that's not hearing your story that there's this, this, this synchronicity a, of receiving and an openness to, I want to balance myself out. My guess that, is that's a common story, common threads. I would think it is because, so first, tell me if this happened to you, Paul. So yeah. in the beginning, you start meditating and it's like, Whoa, I'm like high as a kite. It's like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a guru. My life is going to be perfect forever. All figured out. I got it. Yeah, for like six months and then boom, like a bit of a crash. And it's like, shit, I'm yeah. still the same confused person I was before. Right. Yeah. But then if you keep at it and practice, and this is why I encourage young people, especially practice and practice, yeah. there becomes a Part where you can disassociate from it. It, it. That process is first your mind, then your body, but then your spirit, and you're it's, you're you're embodied in it. You're, you're, yeah. yeah, you remind me of. So I've been introduced to mindfulness in grad school at Naropa University, and I remember struggling. You know, these big like a hundred people crammed into a room in silence. It's like, what? And we, what am I doing? What are we doing? And then one time at home, because I was required to meditate, was part of schooling. And I remember having this moment where like the clouds opened and I saw the light and it's like, I've arrived, I've succeeded. 
the next time I went to meditate was the worst experience I ever had. So I, I totally relate wow. to that, that, that honeymoon stage, the crash and burn, and then, oh, this is what it's about. Okay. Very yeah. important, I think, for people to hear that that's, that's the path that's walking it. I mean, you must have really known what it all was if you were in the road. I, I'm still trying to figure out what it all is, Jim. I'm just more <laughs> honest about about that. Uh, um, mm-hmm. That was my introduction because it, it was such. And I'm going to use an Europa word, container. It was such a container to to be first exposed to what. Um, and again, it, it's so funny we talk about like it's something outside of ourselves. But you and I both know this. It's an innate capacity within, and yet sometimes we need a good mirror to see what's within. And and Naropa was a phenomenal place as far as a really good mirror to see what I had not known was in there. This is like a Marvel movie, your origin story. So thank you for your origin story and mindfulness. And I'm still the same. I mean, I'm still the same guy. I just, uh, I didn't change into the Incredible Hulk or anything. I, no, no. For those listening, yeah, he doesn't have green skin, and yeah, no. But um, but I do think this. Yeah, you know, I think we can call mindfulness a superpower in a way, as far as once it's accessed, the all all that comes with that. So now that we know your origin story, and again, wanting to make this really a roll up the sleeves, pull the veil back on the mystery. What does your your regular practice look like? Your regular mindfulness practice. My regular mindfulness practice is, I would say, threefold. Okay. I start my day reading. I have not only been practicing for 35 years, but I read something every day. So I read. Then I I sit for a minimum of 20 minutes. And this is the whole time I was in business, working, on the road, whatever. I just take some breaks, weekends, if we're away or something. Sure. And so that might be the formal practice. And then I don't say this with any grandiosity, Paul, at all, but feel like the whole rest of the day is my practice. My whole life is my practice. I love it. My boss calls and I I find myself freaked out a little bit, like, how am I going to even survive here anymore? This woman has no clue, you know, and then I say, hmm, that's interesting, Jim. You're really... uh, reacting to that you're really hooked what's that all about you know because she's not an evil person and uh it's not even that you can call her by some adjective you're just experiencing let's say jenniferness okay yeah yeah you know this is mindfulness take her in all direct experience and so you have to dig through the layers like okay i get that you know maybe i'm for my job or so mindfulness is with me and same with my wife and kids okay it's like yeah, nothing's yeah. wrong when things seem crazy nothing's wrong this is family mm-hmm. there's nothing broken this is family uh so i go through the secondary suffering of feeling like something's wrong just see clearly try you know try for awareness and make your choices and understand your choices will have consequences I love that aspect of it. And I know a lot of times people think, and it's sometimes promoted as, well, it's just a tool. It's just an exercise. And how you include it in your three parts, it's how I'm showing up to live my life. And and this sense of it's so much more than just a tool from the outside. 
it's it's this presence and especially that you speak about relational because i think sometimes there's this selfish aspect that people think it's about me and recognizing that in the end yeah please share on that so um what i'm trying to do for the rest of my life is teaching these workshops to very pressured salespeople, customer success, consultants, yeah. pre and post tech support people. And about mindfulness, uh, I want to work with them for three, six months. So my first workshop is teaching them about mindfulness. I teach them four or five types of meditation. I lay out a framework that's simple enough for them to understand, but I push the envelope fairly hard. I just don't use a lot of Pali and Sanskrit words. But I push the envelope on impermanence, on presence, staying open, on letting go and not clinging to to, uh, pleasure and trying to push away pain. Then I come back for my second workshop and I say, see, you guys all probably thought that was helpful and cool and, you know, help you lower your stress. I forgot to tell you, that's not really the important part. Today is the important part. (laughs) And then I I go through meta and uh, I go through um, oneness. I mean, and I don't even use the English word oneness. What I'm trying to get them to understand is like all this one big interconnected thing. And uh, it's not really about that. Nobody's waking up in the morning saying, I think I'm going to uh, see how I can make Paul miserable today. You haven't succeeded yet. Sorry to report. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like we're all just out. Most people are just out there trying to do their best to be good people, have a good day, take care of them, their family, their responsibility. So I really lead them to that point because that's where the real riches come from. Yes, you have to get your peace to pay your mortgage and raise your kids and whatever it might be. You can be as relaxed as you want and as, quote, mindful and chilled out. You're not going to have the richness that that it really offers. Mm. What does that look like? What does the richness look like for you? Well, again, I have to say this with humility, Paul, because you're hitting me at a time where my children are grown and they're on their own. And, uh, you know, our house is paid for. I mean, I don't have the kind of responsibilities I have. But even back then, I think I felt that at any moment, you have access to, wow, I am here. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is life. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, I, I, I don't even want to put too many words behind it because okay. it's that. a feeling yeah. that you're not all over the, I mean, we all have days, monkey mind, you're thinking about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not, the thing I love that that comes up in, in meditation, I love Jack Cornfield's uh, thing when he says, after a while, you can recognize your top 10 greatest hits. So it's <laughs> like, uh, all right, money, 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 thank you. You know, that's not solid. Yeah. You know, by uh, fear, 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 work, 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 my relationship. So, I mean, that's how it shows up. It's just real appreciation for everybody, even if they're people who drive you nuts. Very important point to include. Appreciation for even people who drive you nuts. Can you say a little more about your experience of that? What does that look like? What does it feel like? Oh, man. 
So I used to work for a technology analyst firm. Okay. And there there was one guy there who had kind of, and this is judgmental, I wouldn't have described it as that, but he, he had rough edges. He, you could say he had an abrasive personality. I kind of ignored that part of it. But we had a lot of vivid discussions. And we had open conflict after a couple of years. He quit. And on his last day, he stopped by my office. And he said, Jim, you're really one person I wanted to say goodbye to. I have really enjoyed our time together. I I never, uh, I don't speak about this publicly, but I'm a cancer survivor. And it's a little bit iffy sometimes. And I'm not always in a great mood. Uh, but I have found our association quite valuable. Wow. And I, I did too. I did too. You offered him, I think, this presence of however he showed up, and I'm hearing there is appreciation for that. Yeah, because I don't want to... So I'm surrounded by psychologists and therapists in my family and my neighborhood and everything. (laughs) So I don't want to... That A lot of it could just be there's a lot of conflict in my family, and we're all as close as can be. My My brothers and I, you know, I mean, what do boys do when dad's not home from work yet? We fight and wreck the house. And so conflict per se doesn't bother me. And uh, after I practiced for a while, and maybe it was even a decade or so, I re- I really learned not to label people. Not like, all right, he's an asshole, he's a liar, he's a dysfunctional. What I do is when I said to you, ah, that's oddness. Mm. I take the person mm. home. Now I have choices. I can engage. I could walk, go around. I can leave here all together. No, that's up to me. Okay. Uh, and when we get together without judging, I can take him in and have maybe even a heated discussion. Okay. Wow. What I enjoy about this experiment, and thank you for joining me in it, is we start in a simple place, and I don't know where we're going to end up. Okay. And trusting that, I just I love where we ended up here. Of especially if this is going to be the inaugural episode and hearing that I think that the two things that really resonate with me is I am here and in your story about Bob I'm also here for you and if we can leave that message for people about the power of mindfulness I can't think of a better better point to put out there yeah, I agree with you, Paul. And the reason why I think it's important, especially today, look, it's too, everybody's so preoccupied and it's too easy to not create the, the awareness or the being centered enough to directly spend that time and engage with somebody. It's like, it's much easier to say, oh, Bob, and just walk in the other direction. So I am relatively ancient at this point. And yet, you know, you see guys my age that look back when the whole, and it's like, wow, 50 years, where did that go? I don't, I don't feel that way. I look back and I say, wow, I was really there. I survived in sales much longer than most. I'm 72. Uh, I was really there. I had a good long run. 
Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Dager. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychum. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode. 